0: in this first, and then this, I don't know, Good morning everybody again, uh, what's your name again, Norman, uh, Norman. 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 okay, well, no, Norba, yes. more or less, well, he's going to r- summarize the readings for today, um, the quiz we're going to make this week will be mainly based on the sources that we've read, so we will give you a source and ask you more or less to comment on some key concepts of them, uh, of, uh, of, the, of that source. Uh, So please pay attention to the connection between the single historical source and the discourse that surrounds it. And also try to review a little bit uh, Emperor's and Caesar's, so the other textbook, because it gives you the material that will help you to make a more detailed discussion. Okay, please.
1: Hi. Uh, well, basically, uh, essentially, the this reading was basically the connection between uh, the emperor or whoever was putting on the games and between the uh, and the audience. Basically, I'm just gonna start um, with ba- basically the imperial spectacle. Basically, Augustus, uh, it goes without saying that, he was very good with public relations. And he knew the importance of the games and uh, the attention that it got from people and the positive reaction that he would get from his uh, subjects. And um, he basically unified the leadership under the, uh, you know, the Principate, the, the emperor. And basically all the leadership was, uh, was devoted, uh, devoted to him. And he was the first one who built. uh, He was he built the first permanent amphitheater, and he used the games uh, to serve his imperial agenda. And in uh, in the reading, it goes on that he he put on the games for his sons, his grandsons, basically to introduce the next generation of leaders that would uh, become heirs to his empire. Uh, Yeah. How long long
0: do you think it
1: would take? Uh, I can finish in. How long do you want to Uh stay? I can take 10, 10 15, yeah. Do um, you think, you uh, have to be confused by the fact that
0: we're writing theater that's being built by two. Oh. The a stable theater. And now we have another first, because it's the first amphitheater. is the difference between the theater and amphitheater. The theater is half of a circle. Ampy, amphitheater in the in Greek, amphitheater, both in the sea and in land. Oh, amphibious. Amphibious, amphitheater. and the foundation of the empire. Rome, a, a dynastic succession of the power had ever been uh, practiced, unless we consider the fact that the noble families would just have a monopoly of the marriage race. Well, this is a sort of uh, elite no? um, monopoly of the power, but it's still not a, dyna- a dynastic succession father the
1: So Augustus is a crucial figure. We will discuss this later. Okay. Uh, and he also he, uh, there were also v- venues built at other central uh, administrative uh, locations, b- basically uh, provinces, and where the go- uh, uh, governor of the provinces was and Outside of R- Rome, the games uh, were done by local officials, and anyone who sponsored the game was called an editor. Uh, so basically, just the sponsor of the game, and in this uh, situation, they were basically represent representative of the uh, emperor. They were just uh, they were uh, they had a good in him, and he he basically he validated their actions, and it was sort of um, a cycle between the two. You know, I validate the emperor, and the emperor validates the actions that I do for him. And um, basically, in 22 BCE, the praetors uh, were the ones putting on the official. Uh, Imperial Monera and this was basically in December, uh, and as, it w- as the time went on, the days uh, of the games uh, got added on. Now, public funding was provided, and uh, there, there had to be, s- and after the public funding was a certain amount, and after that, the individual, the editor, had to put on the uh, funding from his own pocket, and this was limited, because Augustus wanted to uh, limit the amount of influences um, that they could garner from the, uh, by putting on the games. And this was just his uh, control on, uh, to, uh, to use the games as a career builder. The, uh, this regulation continued under Tiberius. Now, under Caligula, this, was, uh, the, this regulation was eased up. And uh, Diocassius, uh, uh, he, talks, he, he talks about this as a... That Caligula used this as a weapon, uh, basically, against the uh, elite to make them bankrupt. And... Uh, so they would have to put on games and go on to death in order to uh, garner both political lines from the people and him uh, under C- uh, claudius uh, there was um, the excesses of Caligula were limited, and uh, the responsibilities were given to equestrians uh, the equestrian class and um, th- again, Tacitus, the historian, he, he's, he sort of calls this a tax that uh, att- basically attacks that p- people of an uh, equestrian class, th- they were obligated to do this, so it, it was basically a bribery when you got to this level. Now, under Nero, the good years, were basically in the beginning where he was under influence of good advisors, uh, he basically reversed uh, Claudius' uh, decision, and he put a ban on games in provinces, which isn't really uh, enforced. They don't have uh, much uh, proof that it was really enforced in the provinces. Now, uh, it, t- it talks about the new elite. Basically, after this, uh, the Civil War, uh, the elite class, uh, they were decimated. Oh, yeah. quest. question? Oh i'm really sorry, yeah, sure um, basically the new elite after the civil war the the Roman class, the senatorial class they were decimated because uh the opposition when they took a hold for a uh, power for a while they could uh, they would just kill all their uh opposition and it was just it would c- keep going and going so what they what happened during that time that the noble uh, noblemen from Italy and other provinces would take the to, took the place of these elite that, that had died out. And basically, it came from Italy and other provinces, and the emperors uh, built these people up. And basically, it was... Um, I know you're all familiar with the patron-client relationship. So basically, all these people were clients to the emperor. They had loyalty to the emperor.
0: Yes. Society in ancient Ireland, that heard from a friend of Viking archaeologists, and also the Sicilian Mafia society is basically a society that overrides the state, and is parallel to the state. where there is a relationship between the corrupting politician the corrupting Mafia <laughs> <laughs> And the people who look to give him allegiance legend,
1: a, la- a, legends. a legends?
0: So This is a sort of non-stable relationship that keeps the society going. This is a most archaic form of public organization in Rome. Nobles that, suppo- that help the people, and people give their allegiance to the nobles. The nobles noble is called patrons like in Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm waiting for patronos for some partial figure to help me. And the person will be client, and the client is the client. The clients. It's, they're spelled in the point of Patronos
1: is the nominative, and clients, the client. Up until this point that I was talking quickly does anyone have a question that they no okay good Uh, now uh, basically now on to the Emperor and the Arena as I said uh, Augustus knew this as a very effective uh, public relations uh, tools and he made sure that it was recorded he talked about the sons and the grandsons for whom he uh, put these games on he put a list of all the uh, activities that were done and uh, occasionally they would write how much it would cost and this tradition was followed by other emperors, such as Trajan. His uh, famous example is that he put on 123 days of games for his victory against the Dacians. And also Septimus, uh, Septimius Severus, in 202 um, AD, uh, basically for his 10th anniversary, he put on uh, games that were around uh, 200 million uh, sesterces. Now. Uh, Franco, he was a tutor uh, to Marcus Aurelius, uh, a historian. Also, he talks about how these games were. Fronto, uh, uh, Fronto. Fronto. yes, Fronto. Sorry, uh, Fronto. He was tutor to Marcus Aurelius. Um, he says that uh, these games were unifying uh, across uh, class and culture, and he talks about how everyone comes and sees this game, and it's it's a unifying aspect. Everyone boos. Everyone, uh, you know, agrees with the call of the emperor and whatnot. Uh, and um, the book raises the point that the political uh, i 'm sorry this uh, this arena was the one uh, political interaction uh, when the empire was stated because it was the only way that the ruler and the rulers uh, would meet in one place and it um, actually the people could ask uh, the emperors for uh, favors for basically what uh, they needed uh, regarding uh, like I don't know. Grain prices were too high, and whatnot. And this was called the theatrales licentia, uh, permission of the theater. And uh, basically, the emperor, when they were there, they, they were obliged uh, not not necessarily to agree, but to make sure that you know this problem that these people are addressing uh, uh, will be uh, looked at. And mm.
0: And the Republic? The Consul? The Consul and, and all the other, the American specification of structure, but and, and it, although the emperor cannot maybe solve, the, fix the problem on this part, what is all. But the structure has structures of power. Who does something? How many taxes you actually are, are expected to give? Taxes and And uh, whatever laws are actually imposed on you? That's an important
1: issue. Yeah. Um. Now, uh, going further on that, uh, basically, uh, people who uh, listen to the the division between bad emperor and good emperor was basically done uh, at this spot. Basically, bad emperors were the ones who didn't listen, and good emperors were the ones who did listen to people. Uh, g- example of good emperors uh, would be uh, Titus and Trajan, and it gives examples of how you know they asked people not only. Did, uh, it says like Trajan not only anticipated people's uh, expectations, he actually um, asked them to you know give them, uh, give him more uh, give him more comments co- more questions. Um, Bad emperors would be Domitian Caligula uh, Commodus, and it, it, makes, it makes a point that you know, resentment that goes underground is more dangerous, because it will end up uh, getting the emperor assassinated. Uh, now, on to gladiators outside of Rome. Yes, yeah, sorry. Now, uh, Gladiator, uh, basically Munera and other spectacles that were done outside of, dome, uh, outside of the Rome uh, were done by local officials and this was part of their uh, other regular duties, whether it be uh, administrative, uh, road building, and taxation. Uh, reasons that they would uh, put on these games would be for traditional deities uh, or a deified emperor uh, when a public building or is being offered or f- for fulfilling vows. Um, The games outside of Rome uh, naturally were less expensive uh, to to ensure that uh, it wouldn't uh, bankrupt the province because most often they would have to tax the locals in order to uh, provide the game. And uh, the local officials would uh, definitely go out of their way to make sure that uh, their games were uh, commemorated by uh, uh, writing the details on stone, uh, making sure that their records kept, of um, when it was who who the editor was how much money was spent. Okay, uh, it talks about a, a special instance uh, of uh, games being banned in Pompeii. The, the city Pompeii. Pompeii. Uh, pom- Pompeii. 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 Okay, uh, in 59 AD basically games uh, were banned uh, beca- uh, because of a riot um, from for- former class I remember it was because of a a riot with a rival city uh, gladiators came uh, but the games were banned for 10 years there and uh basically they they stu- the local official still tried to uh, commemorate it. He would. Uh, he had put paintings there. Is a very good example of a painting uh, that it's. It's on the last page of the reading, page fifty actually, not fifty one, <coughs> page fifty, and it's very detailed. And it's uh, put on by the pr- uh, by a priest, uh, Elias Nigatus Maius, and um, and basically uh, talks about all the details. And it's very interesting how they very go very into detail about. Uh, Painting a picture of what actually happened during the game, and it also uh, talks about uh, one instance in, uh, with Tiberius that he actually denied a request uh, by a citizen of a province, by a citizen in a province, uh, to have a munera for a funeral. And basically, he sent in two cohorts into uh, the city. It was called Polentia. and uh, it said that there was uh, given life imprisonment to local officials and most of the citizens. In the example. There was uh, like two cohorts went into the city, and there was uh, two cohorts of the army uh, went into the city, and there was life imprisonment given to local officials and most of the citizens. And uh, in uh, Marcus Aurelius in 177 AD, uh, there was uh, legislation passed uh, to give power of the editor, power to the editor as an agent of the empire. And he tried to lessen the burden of the, uh, the fina- lessen the financial burden on the local ovi- officials. So basically, he put price ceiling on gladiators. Uh, it was sort of sort of block pricing that for a, sc- a certain group of gladiators you get this much, uh, and varying with the skills. But he definitely put a price ceiling on it to uh, make sure that the, uh, there wasn't too much prices to to bankrupt the uh, editors that were putting on the games.
0: Good, quite complete spell, well. Um, thank you. So the spelling is Norba with a in the end. E H. Uh, E-H E-H. So Norby, I would say, but you would say yeah. it differently. That's pretty close enough. Okay, good. Now, first of all, um, before I push my agenda or things, I wanted to discuss with you. Do you have questions or points that raise your interest? In parti- have a reason you're interested in particularly? Mm-hmm. The clock. Uh, clack is a modern term in modern theor- thea- theatrical vocabulary, meaning a group of people paid by in modern theater, paid by the people who would uh, um, arrange the, the show for uh, for them to clap and uh, give, give the the rest of the audience the impression that the the show was being appreciated by a, at least a part of the public, so the rest uh, of the public would clap as well. You know that it's important that somebody actually starts to clap. And this is uh, a, metaf- a metaphor used for this, so a paid public, uh, which which takes us straight to one of the points I would like to discuss, which is uh, the arena as a political assembly. You know, as a, and uh, we are, I'd like, to, if you're interested, uh, to start off a discussion on the mechanisms of representation and of political, of political uh, communication. Well, this wasn't actually the first of my points, but it's okay. Now, uh, do you remember what Cicero, in the last readings, would say about uh, assemblies and theatres? Political assemblies, where the people would vote for the magistrates, and sometimes, in some cases, also for some laws. He yeah. said it's a reasonable way to distract sorry? To of people, and it should be held up. To distract? Sorry?
1: To, to show. To uh-huh, for,
0: for the people to show their opinions, the shows. What does he say about the, the assemblies? Assemblies, right? There's a pronunciation. Assembly, political assemblies. What does he say about the political, legal assemblies? Let's really construct the context. Uh, Cicero is, uh, lives within the Repo- in the Republic in the last dec- decades and years of the Republic, just before Augustus. And uh, he defends the Republic. He, the Republic is in an incredible crisis politically. It's not going to stand very long because of the tensions that have arisen within the Roman uh, society, political cult, political body. <clears throat> and it's clear that we have to, they had to find new balances, new ways to, uh, to reinvent the politics. And Cicero is struggling in his writings to find a way to make the republic survive through the idea of a princeps. So a person would protect the republic by, uh, by um, keeping it alive, though. Where Caesar and Pompey, with their struggle, were, were actually fighting for personal power. Okay, so there's no doubt that Caesar, okay, it's more complex, obviously, than so, because the princeps, uh, Augustus was a princeps. But, okay, in general, there's no doubt that Caesar is a heartfelt Republican, right? So, what does he say about the, assemb- the Republican assemblies? Are they an efficient way for the people to express their participation in the state? No, they're not. Why? Constitutionally, it wasn't. Constitutionally, it wasn't because not any person would va- not any head had a vote. You know what I'm saying? It's not you didn't count the votes. The people were dis- distinguished in many in different groups: curia or centuria, spelled as follows, or curia. But the most modern, so to speak, way was this, and so each centuria had a vote. And so the common people were divided into a smaller number of Canturias. So many thousands of people would express few votes, whereas the nobles were divided into a larger number of Canturias. So little nobles would express more votes. In the American um, constitutional system to, to elect the president of the United States, there's a similar method. Every state expresses a number of votes, okay? It's not head by head, it's not popular votes. But this mechanism was a classist mechanism, because the people's vote would count less, and the nobles' votes would count four. So that's true, that's true that the, 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 the Comitia, as they were called, so the assemblies of, uh, of the people, were not very effective. But this is not why Cicero criticizes them, because Cicero basically accepted that the Roman Republic was a, a balance between an, an aristocratic uh, an aristocratic um, republic, so to speak, uh, oligarchy, and a democracy. But it was never actually a democracy. What's his point? His point is that there is corruption, there is a, uh, there is a, a corrupted system that just doesn't work in terms of exchange of favors and of money between the nobles and the people. We, ta- we just talked about the patronos and the clients. If the client or client... Votes for a patronus, the client and his, his whole family, just because the patronus is going to help him, because he has personal boundaries with him. That, do we call this a real representational system, a real democracy? We actually don't. The ancient po- po- politics are very different from our conception of politics, which is made of parties which are founded on ideologies. Please, Kevin. Well, this is one of the ways that uh, the political elite could pay back the support of the people, but it was just one of those, because the support that you had from these patroni was in any possible term, including they would defend you in a, in a trial, they would actually give you a, 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 an actual means of substantiation, if you will, in, in financial problems. They would own the land, because the nobles in Rome gained their power mainly from the fact that they own the land, they lent enormous latifundists. Latifontists? Latifont? Okay. Enormous uh, pieces of land that they own. So, most of the land was owned by few noble families. So, what, what uh, Caesar says that is that it, the sort of political system that is enacted in Rome, when the money, the, the, the level of um, interest in terms of financial uh, currents of money becomes so enormous... As it was in the first century before Christ, cannot stand because there's too. It's too important to get to a certain magistrate, magistracy, uh, that will give you, pay you back of all the money you invested that you put into the political um, uh, competition. Such a flood of money that it just cancels the whole mechanism of representation. Actually, there was there were cases like it today happens in Sicily as well. Sometimes in the most poor. Um, quarters of Palermo, and I, have, uh, mm, and I have heard very much of this, that you can actually pay the votes. I mean, you pay a person 20 euros, 50 euros, 100 euros, uh, and, you, and it just votes for you. There's people so, There are areas of the city where I come from so degraded that this is what, happen, this is what happens today. And this used to happen a lot in the, in the Roman Republic. Also, there's another element of uh, disturbance in the political assemblies of the first century before Christ. And we met it last time. Did we, did we talk about something that interferes with the political life of Rome? Milo and Claudius, do you remember? So, what? Please. Yes, sort of paramilitary, basically violence, political violence, as it happened in modern history in many countries of the world, including Europe. I'm sorry I make examples about Italy and Europe all the time, but you know, that's the reality. And almost, in the 70s, the political life of Italy, of Germany, of France was poisoned by terrorism, which was the actual use of violence within the political arena. This is more, in a different sense, what happens in the first century before Christ. So for many reasons... Um, Cicero has strong doubts about the efficiency of the mechanism of representation. What is the mechanism of representation? No, people have the power. People are, are, are the, have the sovereignty of a state today in modern democracies. This wasn't true in the ancient world. Because in the ancient world, the two, uh, the two um, subjects of power in Rome were the people and the senate. Whereas the senate represents the nobles. Okay? So it was a hybrid constitution. Uh, uh, oligarchy and, repa- and uh, democracy. But the actual ways how the common people can exercise their power in a system where there are trusts of money and of power that override this balance between, I don't know, wealthy, powerful people and common people. The point of Caesar and the point of the historians today is that there is a breaking point, there is a m- critical mass where the- this mechanism doesn't work anymore. And this is the point of Caesar. It doesn't work in the first century before Christ. The reflection I would like to make is obviously about today. Today there are many reflections in modern political theory about how representation can actually be enacted and be effective in a world where other elements are elements of disturbances of of the political mechanism, in terms of mass communication, for instance. So who controls the information in a society which has grown up and is not... (coughs) Is not, has reached a, a different scale where the citizens cannot personally participate in the state just because they can't even access the dimensions of, uh, uh, of the phenomena that the state is managing. I will try to be clearer. Uh, what do we know about international policy? What we are told by the, ma- by, the mass, by the mass media, obviously. How do we take decisions about how we vote? Because of what we think of the single candidate, because of the idea that the single candidate presents. So, for many reasons. Uh, also, also, the power of the state itself, today, in a globalized world, is overridden, in a way, by the power of the, of the global economy, multinationals, etc. So, there, are, there is actually a reflection in the whole world about how can we actually rethink the idea of representation where, when the balances have been changed. Um, Okay, now maybe we're going too too far away from the ancient world, but definitely. One of the ways that Cicero himself, in the Republic, not in the Empire, finds, uh, proposes for a different form of representation is strangely enough, as we've seen, what? One of the ideas of the the ways in which the people could uh, express their positions and expectations, etc., Maybe I went too theoretical and too abstract, so we just got lost. Are, are we still connected <laughs> with each other? Are we still connected with each other? Not really, huh? Okay, the idea is, Cicero thinks, quite paradoxically for being Cicero, that the, the theaters can be a better way to enact political communication between the elites and the people, between the, the representatives of the people, as we conceive them today, but it wasn't the way in the ancient world, and the people, then the political assemblies. This is due to a political crisis of the mechanisms of representation in the first century before Christ, uh, due to the many factors that we've tried to say. And now, his idea is that the theaters can be an effective way to, uh, to create a link between, uh, so to speak, a sort of... Um, uh, pressure valve. Do you use this word, pressure valve, for the tensions of the society to to be managed and not to explode dramatically. In our sources, we've seen examples of emperors who didn't listen to the people, who didn't use this valve, and actually got overwhelmed and uh, physically killed, uh, like Caligula, uh, by the rage, the wrath of the people, by the tensions the, the society develops. Um, This is more or less what I wanted to say about the fact that uh, um, there could be and and can be effective in different political systems, different ways to enact the people's representation that are so different from the ones that we would think. Um, Including the fact that the theater can be more democratic in a way than the assemblies being the assemblies so corrupt. Questions about this? And I have a question for you. Was it clear? What I meant? No, really. (laughs) But thank you. Appreciate it. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The patron's client relationship broke down? Now, um... Okay, one of the elements that broke down the balance of the Roman Republic is certainly also the different dimension and scale that the emperor had gained. But in many ways, the, the, the Roman state enlarges itself in two different ways, in depth and in width. In depth, so to speak, uh, socially. Because new social classes rise to the level to, to a level of power that they, so that they want to take part in the power itself. And in, in weight, in sense of... Uh, in, it enlarges itself in the space because it includes some provincial elites that w- weren't include, be included before. Example. When Caesar conquers Gaul, we all know that Caesar conquers, conquers Gaul in, in, as a means to gain political power in Rome, actually, um, the people he conquers had princes and chieftains who were the local elites, but were basically barbarians. When... Uh, when Gaul romanizes itself and becomes really a part of the Roman world the local nobles which had, uh, which had uh, romanized themselves to such a point that they were indinguish- indistinguishable culturally from a Roman noble they claim their power and so the, so the local elites that we've been talking about, the ones that give the munera in the provinces are a crucial element in the overall balance. So the the, the power must be spread out. Uh, Augustus, for instance, includes in the Senate many nobles coming from Italy, not just Rome, you know, the rest of Italy. And Claudius, Emperor Claudius, a little bit later, includes in the Senate, so in the places where important decisions are taken, nobles coming from Gaul, so from France, nowadays France. Um, This is also an element, sure, that changes this equilibrium. And uh, Okay, this is a more complex r- complex discussion um, about who gives the munera. You know all those detailed repre- detailed uh, uh, description of the historians in our sources about uh, the laws that the emperor empowers in order for the edilis the questores and the local magistrates of the provinces for them to give the munera. Are they forced to do it? How much should they do? Should they do it? Why is it such a crucial issue? Because the People acce- having access to those charges, including the idealists um, are in Rome, for instance, are now people not only belonging to the old aristocracy but are a sort of a, of a new aristocracy, new people in Rome they would be called homines novi, new people now people that are accessing the restricted circles of power and they are entering that, those uh, through the charge the magistracy of the idealists through giving these munera, etc. The emperor, by regulating this process, the first step of a political career, which often included giving for giving public shows, is actually acting in a very delicate matter area, which is the access of new elites to the restricted circle of power. Do you know what I'm talking about? So this is a part of what we call the so-called uh, Roman Revolution, which is this... Uh, Passage from the Republic to the Empire, which is also a social revolution. New social classes, the new rich, sort of access the people coming from the provinces, people coming from a mm, social status which is not the one of the old blood aristocracy, access the power. And this process is mirrored by the managing of the games as well. This is why your, your book, your textbook indulges so much in describing the single laws about should the idealists be forced to give the munera or not? Should they pay for them or not? What's the source that uh, complains about the fact, I think it's um, about the fact that uh, if you impose on the idealist to give a munus, right, and that he has to pay for that, you are selling the magistracy, he says. Do you remember this? Is it? I think it's Cassius Tio, isn't it? Dio? Or Tacitus. Tacitus, okay. Why does he say that you are selling the magistracy? Why is he so indignated? He just. Please. Uh, because they're no longer focused on what they need to do in the job, I mean, it's how much money
1: they're going spend.
0: Exactly. But what's. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And what lies behind? Behind lies the fact. That whoever had some money and could afford such an expense could access the Sordo Magistracy, which is a way to control the ga- to, to control the gates to access the elite, to, to uh, access political career. We shouldn't uh, and now Tacitus, do you know what social class did Tacitus belong to? What interests his in out? The nobles, the ancient nobility, the Patrici, the Senators, the ancient elites of the power. His indignation comes from the fact that before that, yeah, he says you would get that you would access the political career if you were good enough. This is not really true. You Mm would have to be good enough, and especially you had to be what? Definitely a political, Sorry? Rich and powerful in a powerful family. You had to belong to a powerful family, which is slightly different. You had to be a patricius, an ancient nobility person. This was the excess. Now, with the empire, the, the emperor leans, so gets the, the help of different social classes, including the knights, eques, including the nobility of the provinces and of the rest of the Italy, including even the new rich people who were formerly slaves, the liberty. These all have a share in the, in the new asset of power. And this is what makes, creates this big wrath and indignation by many historians. Mm. status and money, new elites, and uh, crazy emperors. Last time we've been talking about crazy emperors. Who states whether an emperor is crazy or not? Who decides it? Historians. And the historians voice out those those uh, um, interests they've been saying. Um, Narbi has said that... Uh, um, the good emperors were the, wa- were the ones who li- used to listen to the people and the ones. Well, this is a part of the representation in the historians. But actually, if we look from a historical point of view, we see that just by chance, the good, the crazy emperors tend to be those emperors who are who are uh, being more influenced by Hellenist by a Hellenistic conception of power and who are pushing towards a sort of monarchy which doesn't take into account the the, the power of the Senate and of the ancient nobility. So this is another. Uh, Another element that possibly the historians are not willing to express explicitly but the lies behind um, now um, in last lectures we've been speaking so of the hellenization of Rome so that how the Roman culture also from the point of view of spectacle um, creates a basically hybrid culture uh, thanks to from the very beginning thanks to Elements coming from other civilizations, mainly the Greek one, but not only. We know that in the most archaic phases we had the Etruscan influence. In the second, second time we talked about the boundaries and spectacularization of violence. Today I wanted to talk a little bit about the Roman Revolution, which we did following a little bit uh, zigzag uh, path, actually. And the, the new elites, status and Mani. There's another element I wanted to talk about today, very shortly, uh, because we have three minutes Oh yeah the crisis of representation we did it and now we have the time we've seen that we give uh, we have munera in Rome in special occasions not every day uh, when do we have public spectacles in Rome in which occasions Mhm Exactly. Now, uh, in the Republic and in the Empire, the situation is slightly different. We used to have the Munera, in terms of gladiatorial games, for funerals especially. Not funerals of common people, but obviously of the nobles. We used to have them for public festivities of the state, like the Ludi Romani, Ludi Plebei, Ludi Megalentia, etc. Um, so, for public religious feasts, and these were the cha- so the, 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 the athletic chariot races... Uh, um, and Venat- venationes, whereas we had the funerals for private private funerals of uh, members of the elite. In the imp- anyway we could just surely say that there were anniversaries or funerals, private occasions or public festivities, especially religious. In the Empire this, uh, the whole calendar, so when we have the Roman Revolution so to speak, the whole calendar is reformed by whom? But there's a person who reforms the western calendar and we use it julius julius caesar so the julian calendar is the one that we are using one of the things he does is changing by by example the name of one of the months and giving its name to the month you know what it is july julius etc the next reformer of the spe- of the time of rome is who his successor Okay, so they gives, obviously, his name to the month following. So we used to have... Uh, I, I wrote it down, but I really don't have the time to write it. I will just say it. The months used to be January, February, March, March, from names of uh, January and March, they t- take their name from the king, from divinities, Janus and Mars. Aprilis has a complex etymology, probably coming from Greek. Maius, also another complex, May, complex etymology. Then Junius, maybe coming from Juno, or another divinity. And then we had Quintilis, fifth month, Sextilis, sixth month, etc. September, October, seven, eight, etc. Well, Quintilis becomes Julius, and Sextilis becomes Augustus. Thanks God the other emperors were not so megalomaniac; otherwise we, would have, we wouldn't have a September, October, and November, but other names of emperors. Another way in which... The emperors reformed this, the time. is not this evident way about naming, renaming the months, but renaming, changing, reshaping the feasts. What are our feasts? Our feasts are the, the ones accepted in the Western civilization are basically the Christian ones, right? Uh, and I have a dis- had a discussion with a good friend of mine who's Buddhist, telling me, you know, the way that our space is structured is politically, culturally. Um, connotated. It's not neuter. And he doesn't celebrate Christmas. One of the good ways of coming to the United States, for me, coming from a Catholic country, is to understand the real value of diversity. And the fact that celebrating Christmas is not assumed, is not natural. This is just a Christian feast that every person in a public environment has to celebrate, in a way. So, the, our way of, also the, our way of having a The break in the week, our Sunday, is a Christian, is a Christian day, is a Christian feast. I mean, other civilizations, other other cultures, other religious cultures have the Friday, that is, the Islamic cultures, and Saturday, the Jewish culture. So, the way we structure space is obviously political and symbolic. I mean, we can build an important temple in the center of the city, which is a temple built by Augustus, the temple of... uh, of, uh, of Apollo that he built in Palatine, for instance, and this structures the space around it. Every important reformer, an important new regime, like the fascist regime in Italy, etc., restructures the space, building new walls, building new streets, new, move, new monuments. But you can also restructure the, space, the, sorry, the time. You can restructure time in a symbolical way. You can give your, month, your name to a month, and you can build a new feast. The Soviet revolution in the, in the in the 1900s created new feasts. The French revolution uh, at the end of the 1700s created abolished the Christian feast and created new feasts, renamed all the months. Um, Augustus is pretty much the same as you're saying, not anymore funerals of noble gentlemen, but the funerals, the birthday, the anniversaries of the Roman, of the imperial family. Everywhere in the in the, in the Europe I was saying, but it's pretty much in the Mediterranean. Everywhere in the empire any single citizen would just not go to work and celebrate, you know, dressing up, etc., for the birthday of uh, the son, uh, the grand nephew of Augustus. How, why should I care about him? It's a way to structure people's life everywhere in the, in the, in the, in the empire, to restructure the calendar. Um, this is something we could go into s- further details but, details, but the time is over. So thank you. I'll see you Wednesday.